Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Paget here. And on this week's episode, I am joined by Helen Rice and Colin Penninger to find out what makes a bad logo. But before we dive into that, I want to give a shout out to FreshBooks who have sponsored this episode. FreshBooks is a cloud-based accounting software that allows you to create professional invoices in as little as 30 seconds, all branded up with your own logo and color scheme. My favorite feature has to be that when you send your invoice through FreshBooks, you'll know when your client's seen it, and if they don't pay, it will send automatic follow-up emails too. It's worth trying out for yourself, and right now I'm offering listeners a free 30-day trial. You don't need to enter any credit card details for this, so to claim it, just head to freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek, and be sure to enter logogeek in how did you hear about us section. So this week's episode has been recorded on a little bit of an impulse. Just over a week ago, I came across a crowdsourced design project. And normally I ignore things like this as uh, crowdsourcing uh, projects normally and fairly take advantage of designers. But this one was different. It's a challenge created by designers for designers to design the worst logo. Yes, you heard me right. They want to see the worst logo that you can create. At first, I thought this sounded a little bit silly, uh, but then I started to imagine what would actually make a bad logo. And it really started an internal debate as, as to what would make the worst logo possible. Do you simply work out what makes a logo good and do the opposite of that? Or is there uh, more to this? Um, it becomes an interesting art and design challenge uh, that's pretty fun to think about and, and play with. And then going on the website for the challenge it's full of cliche issues too um, and lots of hidden jokes that only designers would understand. It's really funny so you do need to go and check it out. I was also surprised by the judges involved in the project. A few names you might recognize including Armin Witt, Jessica Hirsch and Michael Bayrou were sponsors such as AIGA and Counterprint. Some amazing prizes too, so it's well worth trying this if you do have the time. I know I needed to get the creators of this challenge on to learn more about this and to help spread the word. So as soon as I found out about this challenge, I sent over a message on Instagram and a few days later, we had the episode booked in, recorded, edited, and obviously you're listening to this now, so it's being published too. The deadline for the challenge is unfortunately incredibly soon, uh, Tuesday the 21st of April 2020, which is sadly a couple of days after this podcast has been released. So if you're listening the day this podcast is released, you still have time to design something and enter But if you've missed out, you can at least still go and check out the entries to see uh, what was picked as the worst logo. Um, It's been fun already to look through some of the entries. And I'm actually pretty excited to see what will win as the worst 
design uh, within that collection. To learn more about the project, head over to howlowcanyourlogo.com. So to discuss this project, I'm joined by the creators of the challenge, Helen Rice and Colin Penniger of the design agency Fuzzco. Helen is one of the founders and creative director, and Colin is a senior designer for the agency. In the first part of this interview, we focus the discussion around the challenge. We dive into what makes a bad logo and what makes a good logo. And in the second half of the interview, we learn a little bit more about Fuzzco and how they approach an identity design project. So let's get into this to discuss bad logos. Here is the interview with Helen Rice and Colin Penniger. I came across you guys through a challenge posted online. Um, I normally ignore logo challenges, but this one was different. Rather than seeking the best logo, You've been looking for the worst and I've not seen a a project like this before. Um, So I thought I'd get you guys on to discover more about this. So as a starting question, what is the How Low Can Your Logo project all about? Yeah, um, How Low Can Your Logo is a contest to essentially see who can make the worst logo for a fictional company we called Smorts which stands for Simple Marketing Online Responsive Tech Solutions. So we made up this ridiculous corporation and are asking people to essentially just have at it and design, you know, as terrible a logo as possible for them. Yeah, and what better way than crowdsource a bad logo? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, crowdsourcing a bad logo. (laughs) Ironic, really, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, So why are you guys doing this? Because it seems like a really big thing that you put together and you've obviously invested a lot of time. So I can imagine that there's a number of reasons, but I'd love to find out a little bit more about what they are. Okay, well, I think um, one of the reasons you already kind of touched on it is that we spend our all our days trying to design the best logo and think of things from you know, that that aesthetic viewpoint when um, sometimes a good creative exercise might be to, to start with something ugly. I mean, we've all seen ugly logos out there, but um, it also takes a bit of skill and a bit of talent to create an ugly logo. I found that out when trying to create my own entry and then comparing it to the ones I've seen other designers and uh, people submit just like how... Uh, I mean, there's still good ideas embedded within an ugly logo. And so I think yeah. it's, it's turned out to be kind of this absurd uh, art experiment, but also like, um, I don't know, just a cool creative exercise for, for designers to take the other route and enter the logo creation process from kind of the back door, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know the the moment that I heard about this, my, my first reaction was, oh, that's that's a bit silly. And then the moment I started to think about it, it's like, actually, what would make a really bad logo? And it, it turned into quite an interesting um, thought exercise for um, basically thinking about what makes something really good and then um, um, flipping it over. Um, 
I mean, just before we kind of go into what makes a bad logo and what makes a good logo, are there any other reasons for doing this? Because I can see that you've got sponsors on board. You've got some incredible judges on, on board as well. I mean, uh, Michael Bayrou, for starters, you've got Armin Vit involved. Is there other benefits to it? Because I, I know it's fascinating to find out what makes a really bad logo, but is it for um, press purposes or to attract opportunities kind of like this you know this podcast now is 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 that the reason for that is there some um strategy but behind releasing a, a challenge like this yeah i mean i think um like like a lot of things that fuzzco does um we kind of follow our interests and you know everything doesn't necessarily have a solid purpose um the purpose almost reveals itself as we as we you know, create the thing and, and push it into the world. And in this case, you know, with the interesting time that we're living through with the coronavirus, it almost has given people um, an outlet for distraction and, you know, a way to sort of let themselves go in a very healthy um, environment. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it is really just a bit of fun and a uh, piece of art. And uh, it's one of the first um challenges around logo design i've seen where you don't really need to worry too much about what you're doing because the the whole point of the exercise is to create something that's quite bad so that's a really a really nice way to um look at it uh, something I, I i would love to find out uh, how you went about getting huge name judges were they already people that you was in contact with and, and you could just get in touch and pour them on or how did you go about getting so many uh fairly high profile uh judges to get involved in um i guess a project that could be deemed as not that serious <laughs> um we actually put this contest on um 10 years ago in, in in 2010 and at the time our panel of judges included um I want to, I can't remember everybody, but um, Jessica Hish and Armin Vitt were part of that panel. And when we decided to reprise the contest this year, we decided to reach out to them again. Um, we loved working with them in the past. And, and, and Jessica, actually, when we, when we approached them, we asked, you know, who else do you think might be interested in judging? And Jessica um, mentioned that Michael would be, uh, you know, fun to approach, and which I was very excited about because I've always loved yeah. Um, he's, you know, he's such a design idol. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we reached out to a handful of people who, you know, we, whose work we loved or whose perspective we loved. And, um, you know, everybody was really excited about it. And, uh, we've got some amazing, uh, sponsors as well, who've donated some of their, some of their goods, um, uh, which you'll see on the, on the prize page. But yeah, we're, we feel very lucky um, in in having such an enthusiastic response to the contest. Mm. And I can see, Colin, you obviously had a lot of fun when it came around to building the website because the website is also um, it's it's bad, but it's 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 good. You found an, a nice balance between the uh, uh, two. I, I know I found some uh, nice little Easter eggs in there, like the burger. Thing. <laughs> yeah, the hamburger menu. <laughs> Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the, the website as well yeah. just before we move on to the logo? Yeah, I, th I think we wanted the website to be kind of the first exercise in this sort of, you know, towing the line between, you know, bad but good. Um, and obviously, you know, a lot of thought went into it and then a lot of thought went into kind of um, how to make it a little bit 
harder to use or a little bit, you know, um, I, I feel like it's kind of rife with cliches as well as like bad, mm-hmm. you know, bad UI uh, moments, but hopefully users find it all to be kind of fun. And, and, and like you said, to there's a lot of little Easter eggs hidden throughout. Um, I think my favorite is probably the, the creative brief is like a keynote. Pre, it just downloads a keynote <laughs> presentation, which is just like terrible terrible user experience but um (laughs) but you know the keynote has a lot of fun jokes in it and stuff so um we wanted yeah we wanted just to be thoughtful about how bad it could be um and i think it turned out to be really fun one of my favorite ideas that went into the website was the the button that moves and that's hard to click you know the button that takes yeah 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 Yeah, it it obscures (laughs) the type and just kind of moves around and then, and then there was a really genius idea that Colin had. Um, you know, we we tried to embody Smorts and um, the client Chauncey Peppertooth, and um, we created this uh, this Pinterest board. And if you if you go there, you'll notice that there were two boards actually created for logo inspiration, almost like they forgot that they had started one and they started another one, and, and the one just has the uh, the Nike swoosh, which right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know going through the website, there's points where I I've seen stuff that's really bad, and it's like, oh, I've known clients do that. Yeah. I've seen that type of thing. It's it's all so cliche. It's uh, um, if you're a graphic designer, it's just <laughs> so funny to go through, and and I think only graphic designers would get it. Right. Um, I I think you've done that really well, and uh, um, you know, based on the the goal of doing something a little bit fun during the current global situation you know it's a, it's just a light-hearted bit of fun that that graphic designers will enjoy and and find fun and uh you know something that we don't need to take too seriously so i think what you've done is, is you clearly achieved that that goal awesome thank you <laughs> now, I, I think it'd be worth going into what makes a bad logo so i i don't know how we can go about doing this whether we do um uh, break it down into what makes a good logo and the the reverse of that but you you've you've had quite a lot of entries so far mm-hmm. and you've obviously put a lot of thought into into this yourself so what would you say makes a bad logo <laughs> i feel like every day i'm surprised by like a new entry and just how bad the logos can get um I think, you know, actually, I listened to uh, an episode of your podcast about how, like, what makes a a logo effective or what makes a logo good Mm -hmm. or successful. Um, And, uh, you know, I feel like the easy answer is just, like, of course, to go to, to know the rules and then, like, break them, break all of them in the most extreme way possible. You know, complexity, I think, is a big element of a lot of the entries uh we're seeing a lot of terrible terrible color combinations and um of course typography and then there's a lot of i think maybe 10 or 11 people have submitted kind of smarts with that gradient square like the old gap logo people are mm-hmm. are trying to <laughs> kind of reference uh known bad logos but um yeah, I think I think the long answer would be that it's all kind of relative, you know, to um even even looking at 
you know, reputable designers now, a lot are, are maybe leaning towards logos that could maybe 10 years ago have fallen into a, an, a, an ugly logo bin. But I, f- I feel like depending on the, you know, the space that the logo is for or the depending on, I loved how you mentioned the Guns and Roses logo in, in, in your podcast on successful logos because, you know, for a tech company or for a, a food brand like that, that logo would be terrible, but yeah. it really worked for Guns and Roses because it you only see it on t-shirts and album covers. So uh, it it was successful in its own way. And so um, I think I think one thing I like about this site is that it's giving it's giving bad logos a a, a space to be successful. I guess in a way, you know, it's creating this weird space where we're asking to make a good logo but the way you do that is by making it bad um yeah yeah which yeah. is kind of ironic, I, one i guess one thing i found quite interesting with this with that particular episode you mentioned i went through uh eight principles that i thought made a a, a successful logo and right I've had people in some, someone shared this in the logo geek community. Um, and we've had quite a few people posting their ideas, you know, that they quickly put together. And there's a few, I look at them and think it's bad, but it's still scalable, Uh (laughs) (laughs) you know, so it's still, it's still ticking some of the boxes, uh, as to what would make something successful, but they're still bad. So it'd be really interesting to see, uh, what Michael and and Jessica and uh, all the other judges ultimately pick as the worst logo? Will will they pick the actual worst, or will they pick something that's a little bit fun? Or um, I wonder how too. how did it go? How did it go ten years ago? Was it actually the worst possible logo there that that ended up being picked by the judges, or, or was there some something more to it? Was there was there something good good about that? Um, ugly logo as well. There was nothing good about that logo. No. <laughs> it was, I believe we did a combination of popular votes and then the, the you know, the judges picked from a certain selection of those um, most popular. Um, yeah, and the logo, it was actually, you know, pretty distasteful in a lot of different ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll notice we do not show the the old logo on the site we have like a broken image uh yeah i saw that (laughs) because for that that. very reason it was not uh no we didn't want to we didn't want to reference it at all right it actually made us change kind of the judging structure to for for this contest i think Mm -hmm. and we've been we've been heavily filtering out uh any any like inappropriate or distasteful logos this time so yeah and i'm very encouraged to see so many logos that are bad, but that someone really was thoughtful about. Um, yeah. And I'm, I really, you know, there's a lot of them where I feel like people are exploring trends, you know, trends in design where in some cases they might like aspects of the logos might be considered good, but the way that they're overused or just applied in some way um, makes them obviously bad. It's really, 
it's really interesting um, seeing how similar, you know, how we've all kind of decided what bad is in a way. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Well, I, I really do look forward to seeing what ends up being, being picked. And and just for fun, I don't know if you guys have already thought about this, but you should do like T-shirts and, and <laughs> merchandise that people can buy and uh, maybe it can go to um, some charity or something. It'd be I think that'd be fun to do because... Uh, it would be a funny joke that only graphic designers would get. Yeah, well, we actually have totes on the way. They're um, going to be dropped off later this week. Brilliant. That's really exciting. <laughs> so we've briefly spoken about what makes a bad logo. And I, I think for listeners, pretty much everyone that's listening uh, are graphic designers and they should hopefully be able to recognize something that's that's ugly as hell. Mm -hmm. And I, I know you've already referenced that episode uh, which does run through characteristics, but I, I'd love to hear it from someone else's p perspective. Like, what do you feel? Um, just in contrast, so th this isn't an entirely silly episode, but what what makes a a, a logo good? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I I I think I agree with uh, probably all of the points you made on your on that episode. But I think what I like, and maybe I've learned this by looking at the how low you can your logo submissions, but I, one thing I really have enjoyed and something I've noticed about the logos that I like, um, which are always surprisingly hard to, hard to like recall. I think I live in a, a world where I'm like maybe too pessimistic about, about the design that I see, you know, I don't know if that happens to other designers as well, but. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, and, and you did mention this a little on that episode, but you know, the idea of a, in, within the logo, I think is, um, is maybe the most powerful element to me. I've, I, I feel like because, you know, we referenced this earlier, but like the idea of crowdsourcing and the idea of, you know, just the internet, you see logos constantly and people designing logos constantly. Uh, I feel like in a way, almost everything's been done, but um, there are times where, you know, if you can get that idea and execute it well, I think that that, that can create, um, you know, the best type of logo. Just the, the concept around, um, around the logo, I think is really mm -hmm. important. I think so much of what makes a logo good to me is, you know, kind of thinking about or understanding where it's going to live, you know? So I'm personally drawn to very minimal aesthetic, um, you know, beautiful typefaces uh, that are applied to whatever product or service that they belong to in a way that elevates and not clutters that experience. Um, but then again, you know, to riff on what Colin said, any logo that where there's some underlying concept that is, you know, beautifully embodied in, in the design is also really rises above um, a lot of every day. Yeah. Of those eight principles, I, I said the, the absolute key one and, and Colin, you, well, both of you, you, you referenced it is execution that like that's the key thing because you can have a really great idea and you can pick the most appropriate typeface for the project and and um you know you can make all these amazing choices that make the the, the recipe to something that could be really good but if it's just not put together and not executed well it's 
it's the one thing that that turns something that could have been very good to something that's deemed as bad right (laughs) yeah I just want to take a short break to thank FreshBooks who have sponsored this episode. As creatives, we like to spend our time designing logos and brand identities, but a lot of us spend more time than we'd like doing admin work, like creating invoices, chasing payments, logging expenses. And that's where FreshBooks can help you. It's an accounting software designed for creative professionals that will save you time. For example, you can create branded, professional-looking invoices in as little as 30 seconds. You can set up credit card payments right from those invoices too, meaning that your clients can pay faster. And when it comes around to tax time, you can export out tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with an accountant really simple. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial. To claim that, just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek, making sure to enter Logo Geek in how did you hear about a section. Now let's get back to the interview. I think it'd be fun to spend the rest of the time we have going through some process stuff um, because every agency, every designer um, approaches uh, branding projects in a different way. Yeah. And I always like to hear that stuff. And I know listeners do too, just because it's uh, hearing a different perspective on on the process always. Uh, you always get something out of it. So would you mind like running through how do you guys typically work on a, on a, a branding project when a client comes to you? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have our initial calls with clients and, um, I think on that, on those calls, we start immediately, you know, diving into what it is they, they want to do and and kind of offering value in, uh, kind of helping them steer the ideas and and what we're going to work on together. So a lot of the early work is determining what the project is. And then once we, you know, firm up that, that list of deliverables, we move into design and we bring, um, we bring together the project team that's going to work best for that specific mm-hmm. project. So, and, so sorry to interrupt. So Helen, are you, are you focused more on, um, lead generation and getting in prospects and, and the sales side of it, or do you have a team that's doing that for you? That is Josh mainly. And, and then our partner in Seattle and does a lot of that work as well. And then our um, the director of the New York office, Carly, is um, is also a part of those meetings. It's it's a, a united front. We, um, you know, depending on what the project is, um, different folks will take over those conversations. So it's um, very much distributed amongst the team. Mm-hmm. So I guess you, you pull the team together and um, obviously, Colin, you're responsible for the graphic design side of things. So um, yeah, yeah. so I, I guess you do all the sales side and then once it's all gone ahead and, and kicked off, it then gets passed over to the appropriate yeah, team. Most of the time, what happens is the team that sold the project will stay, will stick around and work on it. So, um, you know, because there was so much that we learned in those initial conversations, we carry that knowledge and kind of enthusiasm for the project forward into, um, you know, into the work. And so I'll, I'll stick around or Josh will stick around as, um, or whoever sold the project will stick around as, you know, creative director or account, um, account director, just to make sure everything's, uh, moving Mm. along. 
Mm. So do, do you have separate account managers? Um, because I've worked with agencies where, um, you know, there would be the sales team, then mm -hmm. they would pass over to an account manager, the account manager would run the project, mm -hmm. but then they would work with, you know, graphic designers, developers, mm -hmm. whoever they all that stuff together. Do you run that same uh, general model? We don't. We're actually, we're um, pretty small. The whole company is about 15 people. And so mm -hmm. what we what we like to do is we like the smaller teams where the directors, the people leading the projects and the people selling the projects um, stick around throughout, um, throughout the life of the project. And so, you know, it really helps us create um, consistency for the client as well as I think the best work comes from, you know, a, a consistent team. So yeah, it, it's very much um, the same people, you know, who you get introduced to on day one are, are likely going to be there on the last mm -hmm. day. And then I guess once you've got that, then how does that process run? So the, the project kicks off, what, what happens then? So first we'll have a kickoff with the client. Typically uh, it's pretty short. We just, we've had a time, you know, a chance already to read the brief. Um, you know, we ask them whatever questions we might have and kind of get this, their story from, their perspective, which is always helpful to hear. Uh, and then typically we start out like the first thing we show the client, the first work we show after the kickoff, we kind of go back, uh, get to work. And we um, start out by just showing concept sketches. So taking, usually it is literally just pencil on paper, um, trying to kind of think through as many ideas or hooks for, for the identity that we can uh, and sketch them down on a paper, put them in a, a Google Slides deck and um, explain them in words. And then that's, that's what we present to the client. Yeah. It's important to us to, to kind of like really focus on the concept first without any hint of design. So we really keep like the sketch and actual pencil sketch is very important um, because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't distract from the concept. There's no colors to look at. There's no, um, you know, line weight to think about. Um, and so really it's, it's what is, what is the concept that's going to be best in the logo? And then, you know, we do sketch, we do kind of mess around with, how that logo may be constructed in a very vague way. Um, and then once that concept's selected, we go into um, high fidelity mocks. Mm -hmm. It's interesting sharing uh, sketches. I personally don't have the, the confidence to um, share a, a sketch. I'd, I'd prefer to put it together so that the um, client could visualize it. I don't know if you would be willing to, but would you be willing to share an example that I can put in the show notes? Yeah, totally. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool because uh, it'd be good to see the type of thing that you guys are sharing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's useful because, like I said, not many people work in this way um, that I'm aware of. So it'd be good to see how you are actually approaching that side of things. Yeah, and I think it, it requires a lot of explanation to the client. We have to really almost sell them on the idea of seeing something so low fidelity, but I feel like it's um, produced some some good work. I, I really love sketching and being able to just kind of, um, 
you know, come up with ideas without having to chase the entire or, or think of the entire aesthetic, uh, you know, lay it out aesthetically before showing the client just mm-hmm. just because I feel like I can cover more ground. And also, um, I don't know, you know, it's it's uh, I just think better with my hand. So maybe it, it's not for everyone, but I feel like uh, I really I really love the sketch process. It's also for us to be collaborative with the client and really bring them along in the process to feel like, you know, we're giving them a chance to um, have a voice in the process versus, you know, taking a, taking time out to go away and then come back, coming back with something that is going to be a big surprise to them. We're really taking them with us on the journey. Yeah, that's a good point too. It gives us an, an opportunity to bring them in sooner than, than we would have had we kind of fleshed them out further. Mm. How many sketches are you showing? It varies by project, but uh, I think a lot of times we'll internally come up with like, I don't know, a a couple dozen ideas and then narrow it down. You know, we don't want to be overwhelming, but sometimes we'll show as much as 10 or or more, I think. Um, Any any that we think are good or that could be... uh, something the client is interested in mm. and then i guess at that stage um uh you mentioned about not really needing to worry too much about the aesthetic are you selling us uh trying to present some kind of story or or the general idea behind what you're putting together exactly well yeah we'll think of uh you know the conceptual basis of the identity and uh how how that might play out aesthetically but usually just trying to convey yeah the the story of the of the new identity or um uh yeah just what 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 kind of uh, approach we might take to designing the entire system yeah often we'll have our favorites and try to um try to you know defend and steer (laughs) yeah i understand yeah i do that a lot myself i i think i think you know it's doing your job properly when you do um present multiple options to steer in one Mm -hmm. direction i think that's important to do absolutely okay so you present the uh sketches uh what what happens at that point is it just a case of them picking one and and you proceed and, and you vectorize the artwork uh no a lot of times it'll be um you know, after they picked the concept, because because very little aesthetics were were taken into consideration, we will then uh, kind of explore further as far as um, what type of aesthetic leanings they have. Uh, we should say we also show um, examples of other work. You know, sometimes it's our work, sometimes it's uh, you know mood board type. Uh, mood board type slides just to help understand what where they want to fit within their space or within you know the entire aesthetic spectrum and then based on those selections from the mood board uh, and the concept they've chosen from the sketch we can then kind of piece things together and execute the concept that was shown on the sketch in the aesthetic uh, you know direction that that we've kind of collaboratively decided upon. And then I guess at that point, it's, it's a case of finalizing it. The client proceeds with one of the options and then you go from there. Yeah, exactly. Some, yeah, I think yeah. sometimes in this, after the sketch round, we'll, we still will have, you know, two or three 
rounds of uh, of revisions. Of course, trying to land it, you know, as early as possible. But um, yeah, just client involvement, I think, plays a big part in the process the whole way through. Uh, and getting their feedback is kind of integral to getting the identity system right. Yeah, and we, we always like to show, you know, if we're creating a logo, we always like to show that logo in context. So, um, you know, mocking it up on applications like Collateral and and a website homepage, and you know, if the if the product, if there's a product involved, um, you know, mocking that up to a certain degree, just so you get a sense of how that logo lives in different places. Amazing. Now, I don't know if you guys are okay for time, but you okay if I ask one last quick question and then I'll wrap up the interview? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I'm um, looking on your website. One big thing I noticed looking through your blogs, you do these annual company retreats. And I know this is a question that's not related to design, but I just thought this is really cool that an agency does this. So what's the idea behind these annual company retreats? It sounds incredible. <laughs> so. You know, again, um, we're just such a tight knit group and we all really enjoy each other. And um, it's just so nice to get because we do work on, you know, different coasts and in, in, in different cities. It's nice to get everybody together at least once a year and have, you know, just free time just to hang out and really get to know each other. I think um, that time gives us all a, a chance to kind of more better empathize with people on the team. And um, there's some people that, you know, not everyone works with every day. And so it's, it's just fun. Yeah. It sounds like a really cool way to pull the whole team together. Um, because like I said, prior to this interview, I, I wasn't familiar so much with how you guys work, but to know that, that a lot of the team are all in different places. Mm -hmm. uh, I know myself, the importance of that, um, uh, that friendship and that bond is, is, so important yeah. the difference between working with someone that you've only ever met online versus um you know someone that you've had um a drink and and lunch and and you spent some time speaking to it makes a massive difference mm -hmm. so I, I can appreciate that that's grateful morale but also just general uh day-to-day -day communication and collaboration between the uh team exactly yeah there's so much fun <laughs> yeah sounds amazing well i'll link to those in the show notes as well so that listeners can go and check that out but i think that's a a good point to wrap up the interview so helen and colin thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks for having us that was fun yeah it's been it's been great thanks a lot if you enjoyed this episode, let myself, Helen and Colin know by giving us a shout out on social media. If you want to learn more about the How Low Can Your Logo project, head to howlowcanyourlogo.com. Alternatively, if you want to learn more about Helen and Colin and the work that they're doing over at Fuzzco, head to fuzzco.com. Alternatively, check out the show notes for this episode where I'll link to all of that, any social profiles, links to any books and resources mentioned in the interview. To find the show notes, head to logogeek.uk forward slash 76. Again, to find the show notes for this week's episode, head to logogeek.uk forward slash 76. If you're keen to discuss anything mentioned in this interview with me and over 8,000 logo designers from around the world, 
join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's totally free to join and it's incredibly active. So if you do have any questions, you need feedback on any logo design work or just need some support to help you in your journey as a designer, just go to the group and post and you will get that support. So to find that group, head to logogeek.uk forward slash community or do a search on Facebook for Logogeek and you'll hopefully find it. On top of that, if you like to jump on group video calls with me and a handful of other professional logo designers every two weeks, you can do that by joining Logo Geek Hangouts. That was previously called Logo Geek Plus, but I've actually changed the name recently because after a year of having the group up and running, that's always been the real focus and the real plus of joining that community. It's all about the hangouts, the community aspect, the face-to-face conversations. So I really want to push the aspect of it. So I've renamed Logo Geek Plus as Logo Geek Hangouts. Uh, So if that's something of interest, head to community.logogeek.uk and when you first sign up to be a member, I'll also send you a Logo Geek enamel pin badge too that's not available any other way. So that is it for this week, but I will see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.